0: So my name is Matt, and uh, I'm having a little trouble with my large or small ears here, and I apologize for that. Um, but welcome to our Easter service. If you're watching online, welcome to you all as well. Um, I love uh, Easter here, and you know, there's so many different kinds of folks that come out on Easter, and I love it. And some of you have dressed up in your, you know, beautiful matching outfits, and I love that. And, you know, I, see, I saw another kid walking back to kids ministry, and he's got sweatpants on. I'm like... It doesn't matter who you are, how you dress, we just love having folks here. You know, when we think about Easter, um, Easter, I think, in some ways, and and some of you are super excited to be here, Easter is kind of like the Super Bowl of the Christian faith, right? It's like the Super Bowl of the Christian faith. And then, as I was thinking about that a little more, it's like, you know what, we ought to try and kind of flip the script a little bit, and we should say that the Super Bowl is the Easter of the football season, you think that would fly? You think we could work that a little bit? I kind of doubt it. Um, but some of you are super excited to be here. I also know that for some of you, this is your first time at Riverridge Church, and you're kind of wondering what's this about, and, and what's going to happen here, and you know, you've got the, the music, and you're kind of okay with that, and then you've got this video, and that was kind of neat, and now we're at the sermon part, and you're like, what's this going to be about? And there's just a little bit of like I'm checking this out. I haven't quite decided if I'm super comfortable here or not. And that's totally fine. Um, you know, and there's also some of you that you've been brought here by a friend or a family member, and they're like, you're coming with me because it's Easter, and you have to come. But no matter why you're here, I am thrilled that God has brought you here this morning. And so this morning, we are actually finishing up a sermon series called Seven Questions. And what we did over the course of the last seven weeks is we had a... uh, Each week we looked at a question that Jesus asked somebody. And as we looked at these questions, we recognized that Jesus asked these questions not because he didn't know the answer, but because he wanted the person that he asked the question of to wrestle with the answer to the question that Jesus asked. And so this morning we're wrapping up our sermon series, Seven Questions, and the question that Jesus asked is this. He asked the question, why do you doubt? Why do you doubt? And I love that question, because, especially because it's a why question. The question is not, what are the things that you doubt? But the question is, why do you doubt? What is behind the reason that you doubt? And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much uh, just for the time this morning to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ through music, through your word, through being with one another, um, through all the different ways that we celebrate. God, I thank you for that, and I pray that as we look into your word this morning that you would teach us and that you would show us, and that together we would celebrate the resurrection of Jesus and understand the implication that that has in our lives. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. i'm gonna try and fix this again and i i realize it's not bothering anybody else other than myself and craig and keith are trying to keep up with me doing this thing so talk amongst yourselves talk about where you're going for lunch after this okay go go all right we'll see so when it comes to doubt when it comes to doubt where do you fall with that because i think there's a spectrum of how we fall i think there's some people who are kind of on this side of the spectrum, and they would say, God says it, I believe it, that settles it, right? And like, I'm good. And then on the other end of the spectrum, I think there are people over here that go, I'm going to question everything. Like, I'm going to look at every detail, find out everything for myself, look at all the first-hand sources that I can. And I think there's a spectrum of where we fall when it comes to doubt and skepticism and belief and things like that, and, and where we fall fall. And I would even say, for me, you know, I tend to fall more towards this side of the spectrum, that I tend to be more of a doubter, more skeptical, not just taking things at face value. That may come from the fact that I grew up in a family of lawyers. And so er, frequently, nights around the dinner table, we would argue about whatever it was, but you had to kind of defend your position and argue for your position. And so When Jesus says, why do you doubt? I love that question because it makes us examine what's in our hearts and why it is that we have these doubts. But before we get to Easter and Jesus asking this question of why do you doubt, I want us to go back a couple days. One of the very last things that Jesus said before he died, he said these words. He said, it is finished. He said, it is finished. And we ask that question, what is it that was finished? Because he says, it is finished. He doesn't say what was finished. It is finished. You see, Jesus came to earth for one primary reason. He didn't come to earth. The primary reason that he came to earth was not to be an example to us, although he is a great example of how to live our lives. He didn't come to teach us, although he did teach amazing things that we can live our lives by. He didn't come to heal people, although his healing touch was on so many people and affected so many lives, those were not the primary reasons that he came. The primary reason that Jesus came to earth was to die on the cross for our sins. And so when he said, it is finished, he said, I have come to earth to die on the cross for your sins in your place, and my work here is finished. And then he hung his head and he died. And then they placed Jesus in a tomb, And then on Sunday morning, he rose from the dead. And a variety of people, a variety of his followers, went to the tomb, and they saw the stone was rolled away, and that the tomb was empty, and that Jesus was alive, proving that he was, in fact, God. So that was on Sunday morning. That Sunday night, there was a gathering of most of the disciples. And I say most of the disciples because one disciple was not there who was very notable. is Thomas was not with the other disciples disciples. So I want to read to you Jesus appearing to the disciples. This is in Luke chapter 24, if you want to read along with me. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen behind me. This is Luke chapter 24, verse 36. It says, as they were talking about these things, Jesus stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed his hand, showed them his hands and his feet. So he asked this question. He says, why do doubts arise in your hearts why do you have these doubts and he shows him his hands to be and he proves that it is actually him in the flesh now thomas was not there as i mentioned and so john the gospel of john picks up this same storyline and this is john chapter 20 and this is where we'll be for most of this morning john chapter 20 says this now thomas was one of the 12 called the twin and was not with them when jesus came so the other disciples told him, "We have seen the Lord." Now, I wonder as I read that passage and all the disciples were there except for Thomas. I wonder if Thomas lived with FOMO for the rest of his life, of fear of missing out. Like, Jesus was there and I wasn't there, I can't believe it. And I kind of wonder like if for the rest of Thomas's life, he never missed a gathering. Like, if people are there, I want to be there in case something cool or funny or weird or strange happens. I don't want to miss out. I have got to be there. So then he says this, verse 25. He says, but he said to them, unless I see in his hands and the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. He says, unless I see it for myself, I will never believe. And I think that question, that statement from him, I think would be pretty true of us as well. Put yourself in Thomas's sandals. And would you ask, like, unless I see for my own self, I don't believe, I'm not going to believe. Uh, so my family is in town. Everybody came back in town for Easter, including my mom and dad. And so, my, by the way, my dad is over here. If you want to see what I'm going to look like in 40 years, I'm going to look great like my dad. Just a little shorter and a little bit wrinklier. <laughs> But so yesterday, we were um, at, at Mia Cuppa and having uh, coffee together, and my mom says, uh, so my sister lives in Cincinnati, and she grows chickens, right? She has three chickens, and they lay eggs and all that kind of thing, and my mom begins to tell this story. She said, a hawk came and went down and tried to grab one of the chickens, but your sister Sally went and grabbed the hawk off of the chicken and saved the chicken, Right? And I said, like Thomas, unless I see this, I do not believe this happened. I'm like, show me a picture of this. And so sure enough, my mom pulls out her phone. She doesn't have the exact moment, but she has the hawk flying around the yard. And then she has the hawk, a picture of the hawk, like in a cage. So sure enough, my sister did this. She rescued that. But it's like, unless I see it, I'm not going to believe this thing. The other night I was talking uh, to our ten-year-old foster son, and and for him, this whole Easter thing is kind of new, and the whole Good Friday thing. And so we've been going through a devotion that we got here at the church, and, and kind of reading and helping him to understand the story. And so we're talking about it. And he says, he says, so okay, let me get this right. So Jesus died on the cross, uh huh. And why he did he died for our sins? He's kind of trying to wrap his brain around that. And then he said, and then they they put him in a tomb, right? I said, yeah. yeah. And he goes, well, then what happened? I said, well, then three days later, he rose from the dead. That's why we celebrate Easter. And at 10 years old, he gives him this look. He's like, come on. I mean, really? A dead person rising from the grave? I mean, come on. I mean, it was that, he didn't say all those words, but everything about his face said that. Because that truth is pretty crazy. Dead and now alive. And so Thomas voices this doubt. How could that be? Unless I see him convinced, I'm not going to believe it. You know, one of the things that I love that he does is the fact that he does voice his doubts. And one of the things that I think too often that we don't do in Christian community is voice our doubts. And one of the things that I love about River Ridge, it's a place to voice your doubts, to say, I- I'm struggling with it. I'm not sure that I believe this, and to get your questions answered. There are no problems with doubt or that kind of thing. And it, this is a place where you don't have to have your life and your theology all together before you come and are a part of this. And I love that, and I think we need more of that in the Christian world. So that continues in verse 28. Verse 28. Excuse me, verse 26. It says, Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. So Thomas has basically said, Look, in order for me to take the next step of faith, in order to believe, I need to put my hands in the nail prints. On Jesus' hands and I want to put my hands on the nail prints in his feet and I want to see this for myself and one of the things that we talk about at River Ridge Church whether you're new or you've been here a long time is we talk about taking our next steps and I would ask you this question what would you say to Jesus what would you say to God is this is what I need to take my next step in my faith journey Because that's what Thomas was saying. He's saying, unless I can do this, put my fingers there, then I'm not taking the next step. And for you, what would that next step be? And what would it take for you to take that step? That maybe you've been considering, should I become a Christian? What would it mean, what would it take for you to step across the line of faith and give your life to Christ? Or maybe you've been cruising along in life, you go, yeah, I kind of believe this, I believe in the Jesus stuff and Christian stuff, but, but I know that I don't really live it day to day. Like it's a thing that I kind of do occasionally. What would it take for you to say, yeah, I'm gonna live this day to day? Or maybe you're the kind of person that you, you follow Jesus, but there's some things that you're holding back. There's some areas of your life like this is under God's control, but these these are mine under my control. What would it take for you to fully surrender? To say, I am all in with Jesus. What would it take for you to do that? For Thomas, he said, I need to put my hands, my fingers in the nail prints of Jesus. So in verse 27, says, then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands, and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. I love that Jesus meets him there. He says, here, take your hand and put it right here in this nail print. That's where they drove the nails into my hand. And take your hand and put it in my side. You see that hole? You feel that hole? That's where they speared me when I was on the cross to make sure that I was dead. And then here's Thomas's response. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, You have believed because you have seen me. Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed anyway. Notice what Thomas says. He says, my Lord and my God. He doesn't say, you are Lord and you are God. He doesn't say, the Lord and the God. He doesn't say, our Lord and our God. He says, my Lord and my God. That is his confession of faith. He made it personal. And I would venture to say that there are some of you who are here this morning that the step for you is to make faith personal for you. That you have kind of been living off of your parents' faith or the faith of your grandmother or a husband or a wife. And you've never really said, he's my Lord and he is my God. And I would especially say, if you're in middle school today and we have the middle schoolers here on purpose, that now is the time for you to say, this is my faith. My parents believe, but I am believing, I'm choosing to believe for myself. I'm not gonna have second hand faith, but I'm gonna say he is my God and my Lord, not our family's God and our family's Lord. I would encourage you to make that decision this morning. And then I love the other part of what he says at the end. He said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's you. You have not physically put your hand on the handprints of Jesus, on the nail prints. That's you. Blessed are you who believe. And I think that's just so encouraging that the gospel of John, or that that Jesus speaks to us in that. And like, you are blessed because you believe in this way. So the question I have is this. What is the foundation of Thomas's faith? What is the bedrock foundation of Thomas's faith? It is that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. That was the foundation of Thomas's faith, and that is the foundation of our faith still. That and that alone that Jesus Christ rose from the del- from the dead. Nothing else is our foundation. A couple of weeks ago, I was listening to a podcast, and the person being interviewed was talking about her faith, and, and more accurately, she was talking about leaving her faith. And as she was being interviewed, she basically told this story, and I won't give you all the details, but she was treated really, really badly by people who are Christians, right? And so she came to the conclusion, she, her statement was this, she said, I'm no longer a Christian because of how they treated me. And here's the thing is, as I heard her story, I don't disagree at all that this woman was treated horribly, was treated terribly, judgmentally, and critically, and unfairly by these Christian people. But the problem with her statement is that her faith was based on the wrong thing. It was based on how Christians treated her. The basis of our faith isn't how people treat us, how the church treats us. The basis of our faith is that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. The foundation of our faith, on which everything hinges, is that the tomb was empty because Jesus rose from the dead. But sometimes people will make a decision about faith that has nothing to do with the empty tomb. People will say, as this woman did, I don't believe in christianity because all the christians that i know are hypocrites but all the hypocritical christians in the world doesn't change the fact that jesus rose from the dead for people say you know i don't believe in christianity because of the crusades and all the terrible awful things that the church has done and the church over the centuries has done some terrible awful things but none of that changes the fact that jesus rose from the dead Or people say, well, I don't believe in Christianity because I believe in evolution. Well, whether God made the world in seven days or seven billion years doesn't change the fact that the tomb was empty and Jesus rose from the dead. Or on a more personal level, people say, I can't believe in God because he didn't hear my prayers when I prayed for my mom. Or my dad or my child or my brother my sister and they passed away and so I can't believe in God and I know firsthand the pain that that sort of thing brings to a person's life but God not answering a prayer the way that you want it answered doesn't change the fact that the tomb was empty and that Jesus rose from the dead how do we know that the tomb was empty and that Jesus rose from the dead well, Thomas knew because he put his hands in the nail prints of Jesus and in his side. But what proof do we have? Well, there's an alternative theory as to why the tomb was empty. And Matthew writes about this alternative theory. And it says he says this. He says, "And when the and when they talking about the chief priests, and when the chief priests had assembled with the elders and taking counsel they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep so they took the money and did as they were directed and his story has and this story has been spread among the jews to this day and so the other kind of rival theory is that the disciples came and they stole the body and then created this religion called Christianity based on somebody rising from the dead, but in fact, they had stolen the body. But here's the problem with that being the explanation of the empty tomb, is that every one of the disciples except for one died for his faith. So we're talking about Thomas. So what happened to Thomas is that Thomas went and preached the gospel in the East Indies. Excuse me, in the, in the West the West Indies, thank you. In the, in the West Indies, India in that area. Uh, and that he was speared to death. And then there's James, who's the brother of John, the, the gospel writer. He was beheaded in Jerusalem. And then there's Peter, who was crucified upside down in Persia. And then there's Nathanael who was filleted alive and then beheaded in Armenia. And the list goes on. And all of the disciples died a martyr's death with the exception of John who died in uh, Island called Patmos and he was exiled there. But here's the question. If the disciples stole the body, that means that these guys died for a lie. And here's the thing, people die for a lie all the time, but they die for a lie because they think it's true, right? But these guys would have died for a lie knowing that it was a lie. I mean, I think about it, I put that in my situation, I'm like, if I'm lying that Jesus rose from the dead, but I actually stole the body, I mean, the first time they pull out a knife and begin to cut my skin off, I'm like, just kidding, Just kidding. I stole the body. All is good. I'll stop talking about it. But none of them did. They all died these martyrs' death. So if Jesus really rose from the dead, what does that mean for us? If Jesus actually rose from the dead, then I have an immovable foundation for my faith. It's not how Christians behave. It's not what the church has done. It's not about the circumstances in my life that are good or bad. It's that I had the foundation that the grave was empty, and Jesus rose from the dead. As John is writing about Thomas, then he continues this, and he says this, verse 30. He says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. The whole reason that John wrote the Gospel of John is that we might believe in Jesus Christ and have life in His name. And so that means if Jesus actually did rise from the dead, that we can have eternal life, that we can have eternal life. If you place your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, then you have eternal life. You will spend eternity in heaven with God. Placing your faith in Jesus Christ is as easy as ABC, and I've shared this before, but it's one of the simplest ways to understand what it means to commit your life and to step over the line of faith. A stands for admit. I admit that I've sinned and fallen short of of what God has asked of me, that I've sinned. B is believe. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for my sins, and He rose from the dead. And C is commit. I commit all that I know of myself to all that I know of God. Whether you know a little bit about God or a whole lot about God, saying, I commit my life to following after you and that's just expressed in a prayer in the in whatever words you would want to put that you say i admit i've sinned i believe in jesus christ who died and rose again and i commit myself to following him that's what it means to become a christian and that's how we gain eternal life in heaven but as he says this he says by believing you excuse me believe that jesus christ is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The other part of life in his name is that I can walk in relationship with Jesus. If Jesus actually rose from the dead, then I can walk in relationship with Jesus. He's not dead. He's alive. And I can walk in relationship with him. I don't know how carefully you were listening but do you remember what jesus said when he walked into the room with the disciples and then he said the same thing when he walked in and he saw thomas he said the same thing both times he said peace be with you peace be with you and when we walk in relationship with jesus day by day by day that's what we gain peace That we have peace with God, that we can live in peace with other people, that we can live at peace with our circumstances, whether they be good or bad or awful. We can live in peace when we walk with Jesus. And also, we can live at peace with ourselves. And that's what Jesus offers to us. Because he rose from the dead, we can walk day by day with Jesus. Next week, I want to invite you back. We're going to start a new sermon series called Faith That Follows. And we're going to talk about what does this look like to walk with Jesus? What do believers do? I'd love for you to come back and be a part of that next week. I want to close and share a story about when I first became a Christian. And then after, the band is going to play a song called Man of Sorrows," just to give you a moment of reflection. But it was between my sophomore and junior year of high school, and uh, and I was at this camp, and they had explained the gospel: Jesus died for your sins, He rose from the dead. And what do you want to do with that? Do you want to place your faith in Christ? And they gave us about twenty minutes to think about this. And so I went and I sat on this railing, and and I was just kind of thinking about the things that I had heard, and it was all very very new for me. Uh, and I looked down on the ground. I looked down on the ground, and there on the ground there were three rocks. And there was two that were kind of close to me, and then one that was kind of farther away, all within, you know, about two or three feet of me. me, I'm sorry, there's two that were farther away, and one that was close to me. And I was trying to figure out, do I believe this? Kind of like Thomas, do I believe this? And I thought, you know what I'm going to do? When this time is over, and after the bell rings, I'm going to get off this railing, and I'm going to take the rock that's closest to me, and I'm going to kick it. And if it goes between these two rocks that are a little bit farther away, then all of this stuff is true. That was my plan. But the problem is, and I realized partway through this 20 minutes, I'm like, that's a really dumb plan. Like, that's just dumb. And the thing is, is I knew that what I had heard was true. I was just a little bit scared to step across the line of faith. I was a little bit scared. I was like, I'm not so sure. I was kind of looking for some kind of second confirmation. But I knew that I had all the facts that I needed and that what I had heard was true. And so I posed this question to you this morning. What is the step that God wants you to take? Does he want you to step across the line and believe? And what's holding you back? What is it that you need to step across that line? And I encourage you just over the next few minutes as the band plays this song to listen to the voice of God and then to have the courage to do what you know that God is laying on your heart. And for some, that's going to be stepping across the line of faith. For some, that's going to mean it's time to walk with him daily. For some, that's going to be full and complete surrender. But that you would have the courage to do what God calls you to do. Why? Because the tomb was empty and Jesus rose from the dead.